Welcome back to the Dash Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Gamage, and our goal is to provide you solutions from leaders who are solving problems in school communities. And today we have a national educator, Mr. John Shimbari, who's worked everywhere from New York to the Bay to Chicago and everywhere in between as a school leader and is now consulting across the nation in the Northeast as well. Excited to talk with John about the integration of SEL and academics, as well as this consultant life that um, we speak of and, and what it takes to be able to operate on that level. Now, before we get started with John, I just want to give you a reminder to subscribe to our channel on YouTube at SEO Educators, Apple Podcasts, and also check out our website, seoeducators.com, for more information about how we support school communities with professional learning and self-paced courses. John, how you doing today, sir? I'm doing well, Trey. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Likewise, likewise. We've got some shared connections, but I think we connected independently and, um, you know, I've, I've been on LinkedIn for a long time, John, and, and you mentioned network before. I just love connecting with folks. And there's there's some folks that immediately we connect and, and we hit it off and are best friends. And there's sometimes it literally takes years before somebody will respond <laughs> to me or, or they might log into LinkedIn two years later and see a message and respond. And it works out that way. So, John, you've got an extensive background in education. I don't want to spend too much time there. But if you could just talk me through a summary of your educational background and that career, and then how and why you transitioned into being a consultant. Sure. And thanks for the question, Trey. So uh, like many folks, started as a teacher, went into teaching a little bit later. I went through an alternate route program because I had studied for a different career first. But once I got into teaching, I really knew that that is where I was meant to be, training, development, it's, it's, it just speaks to my soul. So while I was teaching, I had the opportunity to teach in some innovative magnet programs that gave me an opportunity to do programming, more the work of an admin. And so that really got me interested in supervisory work within education, went back for my supervisory licenses and certifications and degrees, became an administrator. And then what really brought me to consulting was I found myself, I was in the Bay Area, as you mentioned, and I was I found myself needing to come back for some family matters, some family things that were going on. And I said, you know, I have had this range of experiences in educational leadership, coaching teachers, coaching leaders in predominantly urban areas, but also some rural ones as well. And I so when I came back, I said, let me try to put my own shingle up as a consultant where I could really focus on replicating good practices across many school districts and many sites. And so that's really how I got involved in consulting. Hmm. I like how you just put that. I don't know if that is a phrase that you use often. You said replicating good practices. That is yes. a wonderful term and like synoptic way to say what a consultant does. Because in, in a lot of ways, you know, as a consultant, my job isn't to reinvent the wheel, okay? The answers are out there. I'm gonna help you find them and, and, and help you put the best ones for your school community in place. So what I hear from that is you, like, you've seen the best practices and the worst practices. Let's help you deliver and implement the ones that work for your community. It, can you add anything to that? Definitely. And you're exactly right. I often say, Trey, that the best consultants are the ones that work themselves out of a job. 
So if you are able to help not just a single teacher with their practices, although that is honestly a lot of times why school systems call me in. They want me to work with specific educators, and that's fine, and I do that work. But what happens if that educator leaves or what happens if that educator gets assigned to a different building in a different, you know, teaching a different content or grade level? All that coaching goes to waste and all that money, quite frankly, goes to waste. So, yes, I go in. Yes, I develop those individual teachers. But if we don't replicate the best practices Mm -hmm. that, for example, I'm seeing when I go from classroom to classroom, across the entire building, what's the point of me being there? Because then my impact and the resource in money that the school district is paying for my services is going to be for not. So it really should be, coaching really should be, yes, helping the individual, but in a way where it also lifts all boats and improves the system's in a school or in a district or even on the state level for that matter. Yeah, well, that's great, John. And and I think you already started to uncover that answer a little bit. But um, what I again, what I heard, you know, we can teach teachers or we can teach practices. What what does that look like in practice? You know, if I want to implement a cohort of um, restorative restorative justice cohort, a SCLA academics cohort, I'm teaching these teachers but what is it just another step to making it a more systematic approach or is it a pre-layer that's making sure that there's systems in place that it doesn't matter what teacher is in we're going to be able to have the same standards like how does that work i think it's both Trey. Mm-hmm. so let's look at it through the lens of sel right so let's say i'm coming into a district or a school and the the mandate is help teachers embed SEL practices into their classrooms. Mm -hmm. Well, of course the school wants those teachers teaching those students to have impact now. Mm -hmm. So there is an element of coaching where you go in, you hit the ground running and you're coaching those individual teachers. You're sitting in their classroom, you're having feedback conversations with them. And what I might do in that case is really go in with a lens. And that lens would be, "Hmm, all right, so before I even talk to these folks, let me see what SEL practices they are already embedding. Mm. And then I I could build on that. So things I look for just, you know, from the get go, are teachers using positive narration? So instead of saying, Johnny, don't do that, are they saying, Susie, I love the way that you opened up your journal and you're ready to go with our lesson? Because mm-hmm. the other students will get the hint that that is what they're supposed to be doing. And that's that's positive SEL because it's really encouraging students to be using self-judgment, self-awareness, to be focused. So I might look for that. Other simple things I might look for is how a teacher's relationships are uh, proceeding with students. Are they asking students to assess their own work, assess peer work? Are students shouting out other students around, hey, I really liked how Joe was really engaging with his group today, right? I know teachers do a lot of that, but and I mentioned positive narration, but can students also be doing that vis-a-vis their colleagues? So I might look for those things. And if I don't see those easy wins, 
in my feedback conversations with folks, I might suggest that they put those things in place because again, they're easy wins. Mm -hmm. And if teachers have easy wins, they might be more apt to listen to me about more deep SEL strategies and instruction, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the first part. But as I was saying, it's great that I'm coaching that individual teacher, but what if that teacher leaves and goes to another district, which is great for the teacher and great for that other district because they're going to take their knowledge with them, but it doesn't benefit the school So at the, that I'm contracted with. So in addition to doing that on the ground, in the moment, parachuting in coaching, I do try to establish relationships with admin and suggest, you know, I'm doing this with this teacher and this with that teacher. What systems are in place where they could be co-reading articles about SEL and then taking away best practices and implementing them in their classrooms? Where are they looking at any kind of data related to how well students are growing in their social emotional mm -hmm. awareness? And are teachers having the opportunity collectively themselves to decide what they want to focus on in terms of SEL growth in their students? And then are they modeling those practices and are their colleagues going in and seeing what each other is doing? So are they doing yeah. intervisitation? So to answer your question, Trey, it's both. It's on the ground, individual, one-on-one, -on -one, but it is also developing those systems that allow teacher collaboration at the same time. Mm, mm. Mm, I like that. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at teachbetter.com slash podcasts, and we'll see you at the next episode. Can you give me an example, maybe, John, of, you know, not all the details, but um, a school community that you started working with and uh, up front, they had some of the pieces to place, but not quite everything. And like, what was that process or timeline to establishing some of those best practices and then putting that sustainability aspect behind it? Yeah, so I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. So one, seeing what's there. And then when you are in a feedback conversation with folks, practice the same SEL practices that you want teachers to practice with students, right? So I really loved how you used positive narration. How do you think we might build on that in your class, mm -hmm. right? So you get the easy win, you get the trust, you get the buy-in, and then share resources. I happen to have some resources on SEL. So then saying, you know, since you do positive narration and you're commenting on what students are doing well, how can we have students telling each other what they're doing well and how they want to grow in terms of uh, monitoring their self and, you know, carrying themselves. Right. So that might be how I start building up those practices one-on-one. -on -one. And then when I have a feedback conversation with the school leader, because obviously in most cases, when I go into a school, the leaders want to know what their teachers are doing well and where there's still a growth opportunity. I might say, you know, all, you know, Miss Jones and Mr. Smith do a really nice job with positive narration. How might we replicate that? What systems do you currently have in place where Mr. Jones and Miss Smith can share their knowledge with others? Do you have a PLC process? 
Oh, you don't. Let me walk you through what that looks like. And even if we can't implement that this year, how could you build in a PLC process next year? Or let's say we want to build it in earlier. You know, Mr. Jackson, let's pretend Mr. Jackson's the principal. I understand you have a PD coming up. Can we actually model so, or have Ms. Jones or Mr. Smith model some of the practices of SEL and the in almost like a fishbowl activity and then have others comment in the in other teachers comment on what they thought was done really well and what they could replicate back in their classrooms? And then how do we keep track of that? So if a teacher says, I'm going to go back and do positive narration as well, I, as the coach, obviously can go back and look at that. But what are you as the school leader also going to do to go back and make sure that these things are being implemented across more classrooms? So that's how I would advise a school that has some things already going on versus, you know, one that's got it all together. Mm. Now, if it's a school tray that has no grounding in SEL, I have done a fair amount of, you know, one shots and repeat visits on what is SEL. And being in New Jersey and doing a lot of work in New York, I actually use the New York State SEL benchmarks a lot because they there are three main benchmarks and those are student self-awareness, interrelationships or interpersonal relationships, and then how do we help students make ethical decisions? Those are the three core goals of SEL practice in New York State. So if a school is brand new to this concept of SEL, particularly within academics, I might start off doing a whole school training on what those goals are and what those goals look like in each grade band level and then give exemplars and models of what that could like, could yeah. look like, excuse me, in a classroom. So it depends on where a school is in their journey in terms of how I approach the work and where I start. Yeah. Thanks for breaking that down for me. Um, I guess taking it the next step, John, you know, we're both consultants, we're both looking to serve and support school communities. I know for me, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll call the school district or send an email and it's, you know, hey, how you doing? I'm Trey Gamage. I deliver professional development services related to adult well-being, adult SEL. Oh, SEL, that's in the curriculum department. That's in the professional learning department. That's in teaching and learning. There's about five or six departments in like, excuse me, actually, I, I work with every department in the school because we all need capacity development as just people. So you can pick whatever department, but we all need this training. We all need this growth. When you are getting on the phone and you're talking about the relation of SEL and academics, what kind of uh, responses are you getting when you pick up the phone or with schools? How do they know? Like, What, what makes a good uh, school partner, I guess? And, and how do you know even if a school is not ready at the same time? Right. So in full disclosure, a lot of my work is as a subcontractor. So rather than, but I will address your question, rather than me reaching out directly to a client, I do a lot of my outreach to other organizations already providing supports. And then I weave myself into that. But I am at a point in my coaching career, Trey, where I am starting to do more of that outreach, right? And who you approach and how you approach them 
differs. So one technique that I have used in the past and I will continue to use is to your point, it's it's everyone's issue. It's it's a school-wide issue, especially mm-hmm. in the wake of COVID, the number of bullying incidents we see, particularly bullying that starts on the internet outside of anybody's classroom. Those things, those problems end up manifesting themselves in school. I mean, recently, I think earlier this year, I don't remember the particulars, but there was this young lady who committed suicide because she was being bullied online. The other students were taking this back into school and other students were throwing water bottles at her and she committed suicide in New Jersey. And so I do think the state now has certain anti-bullying laws on the books because of this horrible incident, but why did it have to get to that point, right? And that clearly is admin's role. Why did admin not know what was going on? Or did they know what was going on? I'm still not 100% clear about that. So it's not just the curriculum department's responsibility. It's anybody involved in school administration because we want to avoid these horrendous things happening. And they are, they still might be more on the anecdotal side, but if you're that student's friends or family, obviously it has a devastating lifetime impact, right? And as an administrator, we need to be aware of those things. So if I was reaching out or when I reach out to school clients, I would almost lead with what the school's need is. Now, I wouldn't necessarily go to a school that just had a tragedy like that and say, well, clearly you have issues with bullying. So this is much more than just your curriculum department. I mean, I wouldn't approach it that way. And maybe I would give some time for that community to grieve. But what I would do is maybe with other school systems say, as you know, bullying is becoming a serious issue as ed tech increases and students become more and more addicted to social media. I, Trey, provide social-emotional learning supports to teachers and school systems and how schools can start to address these things. I would love to come in and do a demo of what I could provide for your district or school. Uh, Please let me know. Happy to jump on a call, too, to talk about it first. And I don't expect, Trey, that people are necessarily going to get back to me on the first go. So in maybe two weeks, I might send the email again, just following up, seeing if you want to talk about this. And some of those districts will bite and some of them will not, right? But you don't need every district to bite. You just need some districts to bite uh, and, and realize the importance of this. Become your best self with bestself.co. They have 90-day journals, six-month action plans, daily journals, gratitude cards, relationship cards, all kinds of things to help you become a better version of yourself. Visit bestself.co and use the code GAMAGE for 15% off your next order. Um, Thank you for for breaking that down. And that's, that's, that's very true. Um, when you think about ratios, Les Brown, one of my favorite motivational speakers, said you're going to hear no 17 times for every yes. And that's about the ratio. When I think about, it's probably a lot worse than that, actually. <laughs> 12, yeah. 15, 20 clients a year, that's a lot of clients for, for me. But you look at um, some of the larger organizations that I'm contracting with, and they've got thousands 
of clients. So I think at some points too, you have to recognize and we'll get to, you mentioned subcontracting, like, hey, you know what? Does it make sense for me to reach out to 50 school districts that have, you know, a thousand schools in them? Or does it make more sense for me to build a relationship with this organization, whether it's the, the School Culture and Climate Initiative or, or Panorama or Seven Mindsets or um, a local company I work with like the Weathers Group, does it make more sense to be plugged into this engine that you've already got going and providing services that way, whether it's until you know my own services pick up or just as a business model on its own, which sounds like you mentioned, you know, the, sometimes the hardest part about business is getting business, you know, yeah, it's yeah. the time to get people to trust you, to know you. I've literally had um, multiple opportunities that have come up this year from relationships that were established in 2018. Exactly. So being patient enough and to, to sustain that follow-up process and to continue building that relationship, truly to add value, not, not because, hey, I, I want to get some money. I want a contract. Of course, that's part of it. But let's do it when it makes sense. And and I like you. You know, I think you're a good person. You're obviously a school leader. So let's let's just keep in contact. If it, if you, I've recommended people for jobs um, that I've met online, and then some folks have recommended me or will, will put me into different places as well. So um, that's a bit of my soapbox, and I kind of use both. I, I'm still doing my own outreach and have my own clients. But primarily, there's um, these larger entities and already established companies that I'm working with um, that I'm learning from and also trying to deliver or not trying delivering high quality services for. So can you talk about subcontracting, um, you know, to really sustain your business and, and that that business model, if you will? Definitely. Well, first, to answer your initial question, I think it's prudent as a consultant to do both both get your own business and to consider subcontracting because you get different things from those experiences. So, you know, what do I get as a subcontractor? So as a subcontractor, usually the contracting organization and I split the day rate, right? So they get half, I get half. Mm -hmm. But what I get from that, and, and if you if they were my original con uh, contact or client, I would obviously keep all the money. But the benefit of doing subcontracting is it usually falls upon those contracting companies to find you the clients. Mm -hmm. So if you are someone who's looking to get in there, just establish your credentials, mm -hmm. your, you know, your qualifications to actually show that you have impact, particularly for new consultants, mm -hmm. it might be a good way to be a subcontractor, right? Uh, for those reasons, you can get right in there, do the work. You don't have to generate the business as much. Now, with that said, Trey, you do still have to network and form connections mm -hmm. with the consulting organization. So you can't get around networking. Yeah. Networking is a key yeah. part of consulting, Yeah, regardless of what kind of consultant you are. So those are some of the benefits of subcontracting. And then what usually happens is, the organization will tell me, all right, John, we have a client who wants 20 days of service in blah, blah, blah. Can you go and deliver mm -hmm. that? I will let you or we will let you work out the details of when you go and who you work with at the school with the school leader. So then I'll go usually have some kind of like intake meeting with the school yeah. leader, the person who contracted with me. 
and then go do my thing and then give that person uh, weekly or daily updates on who I'm working with and what we're working on, right? Uh, and then usually the consulting firms I'm working with also have some kind of tracking mechanism to, to follow along in the work, right? So that's what I would, that's what subcontracting is. Those are what some of the benefits are. The downside is, and this is why you do still want to seek out your own clients, whether you're getting your own clients, Trey, or you're a subcontractor, you never know when work is going to start and when work is going to end. And when you're working with a client directly, let's say it's a school system, or when you are, let's say, instead working with a contracting organization, let's face it, organizations change over time. New people assume roles. Other people lead the district. Priorities change. And that's the same, again, whether you're working directly with someone or when you're working with a coaching firm. So it's always good to have your hand in as many cookie jars as you can. And then the other thing to consider as a subcontractor, you are not completely an independent consultant. You are a worker for that organization, which means you do need to modify how you might want to do things to fit the way the organization brands itself and operates. And then the other thing to consider as a subcontractor, the one thing that I have found very challenging, I'm going to put it right out there, is how to not do the work, but how to attend everyone's required meetings. Because if I'm working for four or five different companies, I guarantee you, Trey, they all have scheduled meetings at the same time. And lots of companies are very amenable when they need the work, when they need you to come on, when you tell them, you know, I want to make as many meetings as I can, but I can't necessarily make all of them. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. But then when you are actually in the weeds of the work and you tell one client or one partner, hey, I I can't make that meeting. I'm already pre-committed over here but I'll, the next meeting you have priority. It, you really have to monitor if they truly understand that and appreciate that, if that makes sense. That's great, John. That That's that's great information you're making me think about. This is definitely a case that I think you can expound on some more because you, you mentioned I already, so there, you mentioned a scenario where you might get a long-term contract 20 days over a school year. I have some companies that just have a project rate. So it might be one session or five sessions. But like you said, you can make a lot of money doing one session at a time if you get 10 in a month. But what about the summer months when there's nobody? So, you know, you've got that as well. And yeah. then, um, other models where you you where there's more of a retainer model where, hey, we're going to pay you a monthly retainer to implement and deliver these services. And so that's three different models there. And then you add that, that fourth one where, hey, I'm going to continue to work my craft and practice my craft and make sure, you know, that there's opportunities to keep on developing there. So that's that's four or five different models for implementation. And I think what's important for folks to hear, because that leap can seem so scary, but you can contract with a company for six months to a year and build up that relationship and rapport before you leave a job. So, you know, if you can do it, you understand the expectations and the parameters and those types of things before you make a full scale leap. Um, to to doing something on your own. 
Exactly. And you bring up something, you know, there are consulting firms that hire consultants full time as well. Mm -hmm. And then you're just working for that one company, you have all your benefits, but you are quote unquote owned by that company, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, different different things are going to appeal to different folks. It's interesting you talk about the retainer model. It could just be my anecdotal experience. I have not found that. Mm-hmm. I have found uh, organizations that pay for service, right? So a lot of the firms that I work with, when I deliver service, I get paid. Mm-hmm. Whether I'm on a 1099 or whether I am a part-time employee, when right. I work, I get paid. Right. And And some organizations might, have a contract or give you a contract where they say you are guaranteed a minimum number of hours in a particular year. But generally speaking, Trey, more power to the folks that find the retainer ships. I just found the pay for service once. Yeah. Not that the other way isn't out there. Cause as you said, yeah. there are different models. And there's a lot of, like you said, a lot of it is relationships and, and when do you get into the right company or have like there's, some companies I work with, they're just so big that there's not a need for a retainer, but some are small. Like, hey, we don't necessarily have, and even schools, we don't have a space to hire a career specialist, but we still need these services delivered. Right, right. We give you a fractional position. And so those take longer time. There's a couple of charter schools I'm working with that we've just built that relationship of work over three years. And it's hard to fill the position. So it's like, hey, Let's talk about it. Like, you know, all other duties as a sign typically is not a part of a consultant's dialogue. But if we can come to a work agreement, I'm willing to deliver those services that you need for, you know, this set rate. So it is much more nuanced and it, it takes much more time, I think, to get that retainer piece, unless you're just that celebrity, like you said. And there there are those folks that have their model and have the things. Um, and we're going to get there soon, John. We're gonna yeah. Get- yeah. And it's funny you say that trait too, because I think the other thing that's useful for people to keep in mind, if they're thinking of making the sleep in my mind, there's a difference between being a pay for service consultant and being an employee. Right. So when, and so know very carefully, if you're going in and you're being hired truly, as an independent on a 1099, or if you are going in as a part-time employee, because you might think you are this independent consultant, you know, and that it's it's your work and that you have more autonomy and flexibility, and you do as a consultant. But if you're gonna take those retainers or if you're gonna take those part-time roles, just know that in addition to providing service to a client of that organization, that partner organization, there are probably going to be other expectations at the company itself, which is very different than if you're just working directly with a school client. So John, this is very insightful. And I think a lot of times hard to see when you're not in it, you know, it's, it's so foggy when you're still in a school building. When I was a Dean of Students, I couldn't see the opportunity right. that existed outside of the building. And even sometimes as a consultant, you you know, before this conversation, I'm like, oh, there's contracts that work like that. You know, and like you said, <laughs> yeah. you can get a retainer like that. Like, how does that work? And so, you know, there's so many opportunities that you can shift and um, be able to provide support. I think the key though, John, is adding value. Yeah. 
Are you solving problems? Do you understand the problem well enough to fix it or to solve it or to bridge that gap? And that's where it comes into play. So um, I think that's cool. There's there's a lot of ways and a lot of models and we didn't necessarily, you know, there's, there's still books and courses and stuff like that. But I think you're getting into more volume when you're looking at those things, which I think just is more difficult if you don't have the name up front. Yes, I just wanted to add to that. Remember before when I said, good consultants work their way out of a job, but to your point that you just made, good consultants work their way out of a job, but they get new work based on recommendations. And where do those recommendations come from? Mm. They come from former clients where you help solve a pain point. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. When you when you solve problems, when you solve problems, things work. Because you can read through stuff, John, and what it frustrates me, and I'll, I'll end with this, there's... um. I mentioned this guy before, but, you know, I work hard at what I do, John, and so do you, you know, and so it is not fun when you see somebody that you know isn't working hard, but is trying to offer the same solution that you offer, and you know that it's not of value and it's not of quality, and it makes it hard for everybody to trust me, the, the guy that's been doing it for, for 10 years, and mm-hmm. not this guy's coming in or a girl is coming in after a year providing a service that's incomplete, and now you don't trust the next person who's coming in who is an expert, who is credentialed, or who is experienced um, in that way. So um, that's just a difficulty of it. But I, I definitely think there's space. And I love some of the highlights that we talked about replicating good practices. Yeah. Hey, Trey, can I add one thing before we move on? Please. So to your point about somebody else making it hard for you to demonstrate what you could do because they're jaded and they've been they've been burned right one tactic i recommend to my student teachers cuz i teach student teachers at brooklyn college one tactic i recommend that they use when they go on interviews is to use actual data of of where they've been successful so i actually suggest using the star method which is describe a situation uh, tell us what the task was. What was the actions that you took that you took to solve or to pursue the task to solve the problem or the situation? And what was the result? So mm-hmm. as you were talking, I would recommend, and I, and this reminds me to do more of this in my own outreach, to really build in, an example of star, and I forget who came up with star. It was certainly not me. Build in an example of star, an exemplar of past work in my outreach to school systems, saying you have this issue, you you know, you want to improve SEL. Well, look what I did here at Springfield High School, right? Mm -hmm. And then go through very quickly the star model. That might help Mm. someone who's been burned or who is jaded to see that you can put your money where your mouth is. I'm sorry to interject. I just thought that that was a good segue for that. That's great. Yeah. I think this is, this is good right now at this point is I'm just bouncing off, you know, game from experience. And I think that's, that's perfect as well, because even again, even for somebody that's new wanting to become a consultant, if you have data from your classroom, you can use that too. Like exactly, you can use this data to show, hey, I've done this. You know, there's a, there's a, um, one of the companies asked for five years of professional learning experience. So I use the time when I was full time a consultant, 
and the time that I was training in the classrooms. That's all all relevant. That's all of it point. is relevant. So, um, yeah, this is good, John. Definitely want to dive deeper into this. I'm, I'm excited and glad that we got to some of these tidbits here as well. I know we've had a lot of SEO conversations. We haven't had this kind of conversation about contracting. So I super okay, appreciate that. Where can the people find you on social media? Sure. So people can find me on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn, uh, blogging usually every day, Monday through Friday, hopefully on things that are of interest to the community at large. So you, they can find me at LinkedIn or on LinkedIn at John Shambari EDD. I also am a member of an executive online coaching community called Work It Daily. And at the Work It Daily site, people can see some of my longer form articles about issues in education. Perfect, perfect. Thank you so much. You heard it here first, folks. John Shamberry, great conversation about SEL and academics, and also about how you can build a business in different ways as a contractor. If you like this episode, share it with the educator who needs to hear it. As always, we'll see you next time. This is The Dash. Thanks for listening to us on The Dash Podcast. I definitely hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you liked it, share it with a friend, share it with an educator, share it with someone who needs to hear the message from this episode. You can visit our website, seleducators.com to learn more about our online courses and professional development training for schools and districts. We'll see you next time. This is The Dash.